Hi, this is the Seattle Mom and Doc podcast. I'm Dr. Wendy Sue Swanson. We all work so hard to perfect how we pull off parenthood and often we may not feel good enough. I am here to help you face these challenges head on. This is about tantrums. And let me tell you that I come from firsthand experience and I'm sitting here with my colleague, Stacy, who does as well. We were talking about rolling out our children for guest appearances for this podcast. So tantrums in general, I think people think about specifically in kids between the age of about one and three. Now, that's you know, developmentally explained, as most parents understand it, as a time when kids are really trying to define their autonomy. They're trying to figure out how to talk, right? They're trying to learn how to use expressive language to express what they have in their head and what they want to need. And of course, there's often, you know, like a divorce between what they can say and what they want to say and what they want and need and what you want them to need. And so in those moments, right, a child's brain is really learning kind of how to self-regulate, how to understand what to do. And a temper tantrum can often ensue. And I think, you know, those of us parents to children that we would either call spirited or tantrumy know these kids. I mean, there are just some kids that are wired a little differently and have a really hard time self-regulating so that the tantrums can be like epic, huge, scary. I mean, I remember one at the Oakland airport where I was like, I mean, it was probably a drag out 20, 30 minute scream fest where you look like an absolute atrocious mess as your child, you know, rolls around the ground like a wolf you know, bohemian, crazy person. Um, so we all know those, and they happen on the airplane and in the grocery store. And at one point, I think every parent, of course, has been there. But I, you know, my um, my approach to tantrums shifted dramatically when I listened to a podcast and read a research study back in 2011. It was on um, an NPR podcast that Shankar Radantham does, um, which you've probably heard called Hidden Brain. And it is a wonderful podcast about temper tantrums. But research had just come out, and this is 2011, about really kind of like the what some people were calling the anatomy of a tantrum. They were looking at kind of vocalizations and the combinations of vocalizations, kind of suggesting that there were kind of certain phases in a tantrum. And then the research in some ways was actually uncovering that, well, maybe they weren't actually all that phasic. Maybe it was all happening all at once. So there's this kind of concept that, well, yelling and kicking and screaming tend to go together. And then maybe at the end of a tantrum, right, there's crying and whining. But what some of the new research was really starting to unfold is it was actually all happening at the same time. And what the article would talk about is that parents get themselves stuck in what they were calling the anger trap, that your kid goes bananas, right, about like you cut your sandwich into a square and they wanted it in a triangle or your kid wanted to sit in one of the chairs and not the other or like the blueberry wasn't the right size, right? Seemingly disproportionate reaction to this very simple, tiny little problem. And yet, you know, and then your kid goes banana. But what usually happens, right, is that that escalation of anger and frustration that your child's expressing, we get kind of stuck in it too. And, and what you can find is like right in the beginning of a tantrum, that's probably the last time that you want to do a lot of directing. You know, it's very hard to do, but avoiding and not paying any attention to that part of a tantrum, not leaving, not vacating, being present, but not reacting, not getting anger, not getting angry yourself, not elevating your voice, not grabbing your kid and taking them off the chair, but really just kind of ignoring it might actually really behoove both of you in the tantrum in that if you tend to engage during that kind of scrying, crying, screaming, kicking phase, you tend to actually elongate that kind of anger period during that time. So avoiding interventions during that time. But I think that the, the thing that was most illuminating to me at the time was not just about the anger trap, but it was really that this was all happening at the same time that pain 
and frustration and sadness is also a big part of a tantrum. And that when your child's screaming about the blueberry or screaming about the blanket or screaming about the fruit roll-up that you're not going to give them, and you're not going to give it to them, and you're not going to cave into it, because you know that being consistent is really important, that if you show a child that the tantrum gets them what they want, it's positive reinforcement for that behavior, right? So you don't ever want to give in to a tantrum. It's the last thing you want to do. But at the same time, when I started to really read this study in emotion and learn about the amount of kind of deep sadness and and isolation and fear that kids are most likely experiencing each and every tantrum, it was so much easier for me to just consider myself my child's friend in a tantrum rather than the ad, like being agitated. And every time, I mean, I have one child who still has tantrums. In fact, one happened just the other morning. Like he is still learning self-regulation and I'm still guiding and coaching him through moments of frustration. Last week, it was about a purple pen. And like, we couldn't find the purple pen right before school. And it went banana brains. But at the same time, he's still learning. He's doing so much better, right, than he used to do. But when I watched him even the other morning, again, like I looked at him across the room and I could see that he was just so frustrated with himself that he'd lost the pen. He was so sad. He didn't want to get upset. He didn't want to lose his temper. He didn't want to spaz out. Um, And that when I come to him and say, I'm here, let me know if I can help you. And he can kind of scream and scrunch up his face and do his banana stuff. But at the same time, instead of being annoyed that he's blowing it out of proportion, if I could meet him with empathy and I could meet him as just his support system, I stopped getting so angry in those tantrums too. So I think one of the takeaways when it comes to tantrums is ultimately coming about it as best you can, recognizing first and foremost is that your child feels a ton of sadness. And I think when we think about and focus on their sadness, we deflect ourselves from getting kind of riled up and stuck in that anger anger trap. So, you know, a couple tips on tantrums in general, too. You know, give your child, of course, enough attention for the good stuff, right? That, you know, kids will tantrum if you're constantly telling what they're doing wrong. At some point, they're just going to get so exhausted, you know, that they ultimately... um, (laughs) are going to just tantrum because they can't kind of do anything right. Um, You know, I loved a quote from an article that was published in the New York Times back around the same time as the study that I was talking about, where the author was talking about a preschool teacher, a woman named Jean Rosenberg, who said, um, when your little one acts out, she had said to her, they're not giving you a hard time. They're having a hard time. And, and that you just always have to remember that, that um, the sadness is about their own struggle. You know, of course, whenever you can, not ideally in all that anger moment, but you want to give your kids control, anything. So if your kid's tantruming about the blueberry, give them control over something else. So let's say there's um, another task that's about to come or two cups to choose from, like giving them any kind of control in that moment, a distracted choice is a really good thing to do. Of course, distraction in general is a really good thing to do. So moving to a new room, offering a safer toy, an alternative toy, um, however ridiculous it is, like singing. I mean, sometimes like that does not work. <laughs> like, I just want to tell you that can be agitating to my son if I try to do things like that. But we can try our best to like do these distraction things. Um, and then, you know, I actually really love kind of the, the model as well that you, you know, you have to kind of pick your battles here too. You know, kids aren't always going to have an easy time. Kids are sometimes going to have a hard time. And, you know, they're not always going to tend to do this perfectly. So you really on some level, um, 
pick the tantrums and pick the battles um, that you can, but not all of them, you know. And your consistency, of course, from day to day um, of how you react and don't react to these tantrums is one of the most important things you can do. Knowing your kids' limits. So, of course, we all know tantrums tend to occur in these preschool age, one to three. But like I said, they can extend all the way through as kids are still learning their self-regulation. And we all know when your kid is tired, when your kid is hungry, when your kid is stressed, like the other morning with the purple pen – you know, that's when we tend to see these things go on. So, of course, setting your kid up for success. And then when they're not set up for success, you know, obviously, you know, trying to just kind of calm down and, and sit back. You know, and then, of course, you have to have a zero tolerance policy. You cannot tolerate things like kicking biting, throwing things, or hitting. I think at that point, you remove your child from that environment, not forcefully moving their body, but gradually moving their body to a safer place and informing them that there's absolutely no tolerance for that. Um, And then, you know, give yourself a break when you need it, too. I mean, I think... I don't want you to leave your child when they're having a tantrum. I want you to ignore the tantrum at times, right, when that anger is starting. But I think your presence, you're in it with them. You're sticking it with them. You're grabbing to hold their hand if they'll do it. You're saying that you're there. You're offering a choice. Your presence is quite possibly the most wonderful thing you can do for them to help learn how to self-regulate, to have the safety and security that they're asking for and need, and to join them in kindness in their own sadness. You just being there and doing your best not to react whenever you can is likely the way for you not to suffer and your child not to suffer when they're having a tantrum. We'll send out links to some of these articles from 2011 and that um, podcast specifically about the studies in regards to the anatomy of tantrums. Good luck. Meet your kids with empathy. Remember that they are so sad and so upset when it's happening for them, too. Tantrums are some of the hardest things we do. And the reality is parenting is a high stakes job. And the good news is you've got this. Thanks for listening. The Seattle Mama Doc podcast episodes air every single week. I'm always interested in hearing what you have to say, what was helpful, and what you want to learn more about. Reach out to me on Twitter at Seattle Mama Doc, on my Facebook, Seattle Mama Doc, or at seattlemamadoc.com. Tell me what you want to learn. Tell me if you want to join me and point me to experts you'd love to learn more from. 